Kia ora Aotearoa, Rebet Hollis here and welcome to Rebet Live on Today FM. I hope your day is rocking. I hope whatever you're up to today, you're smashing it, doing good, doing great and uh, having a reasonable, reasonable time with the good vibes that the world offers to us all. Anyway, enough lovey-dovey stuff, let's get into it. Uh, welcome to the show. What is the show about? Great question. Rebet Live, we exist in this intersection between, you know, creativity and commerce and content and business and culture and all these kind of cool things. Basically, it's a nice way of saying, I like to talk to really smart people about things that I don't know so much about. And I like to have good little banters, which I can share across to you all, whether that be in the money space, the family space, whatever, whatever space it may be, I'll happily have a chat with pretty much anyone. Well, actually, most people, to be fair. And I'm excited and stoked about today's guest. Her name is Melissa Gollum. She's from Terarawa. She's a change maker and she's CEO and founder of Ripper Global. It's leading the world of intelligent automation for government and business spending compliance. Automation is the servant of sustainability and the team is delighted to deliver proprietary software solutions that eliminate risk and carbon emissions. Basically, it's technology that protects people and the earth. Super cool. Uh, Kiwi product, global brand, global market, this is going to be a good one. I've known Mel for a while now and she is a weapon. She does not hold back. She tells you exactly what she thinks. And for right or wrong, she'll flip and send it to the death with what she's what she's up to and how she rolls, which I absolutely love. So without further ado, on the show, Rebet Live, episode 300 and something, it is Melissa Golan on Today FM. Rock and roll. Back into the mix with the one and only Mel. How are you, Mel? I'm very good, thanks, Robert. Down in uh, Poniki, and uh, feeling uh, thankful to be in Wellington, and uh, very sorry for our friends in Auckland. What just in, in just in general? Because Wellington's better. Is that what kind of what you what you're thinking? Well, we're not under we're not underwater. I think is the uh, we managed to, to dodge that particular bullet. So obviously, everybody's um, got some pretty um, pretty serious problems to take care of up there at the moment. So let's let's. Get, I was I was trying to think about where to start with this banter because you're full of passion, you're full of fury, you've got some opinions, and I, I'm I'm all here for the conversation for it. But I want to maybe start with this. You're a female tech founder in a small country of New Zealand with five million people with a global product that can serve and, and help billions. How have you found the journey to date with that first starting sentence of what you do? to what you're trying to achieve? I've found the journey to be uh, out of this country incredibly difficult. Um, I think that uh, New Zealanders and the the innovation and entrepreneurial community um, gets very uncomfortable with big global aggressive thinking. And everybody loves to talk a big game about, oh, globally scalable, what does that look like? And then in the next breath, you get told, but you need to stay in New Zealand until you've got $3 million of annual recurring revenue. And it's like, dude, financial technology is a war. And if we sit here in our own country, quietly beavering away, our global opportunity is gone. So currently, it's a clear sky opportunity for us at the moment. And this is why we've quietly set up our foundations across four countries. Um, We want to own this space. And I'm not apologising for being aggressive about that. Um, people have accused me of not being humble. It's not about being humble. It's about winning for our country. 
we're, we need to start moving our technology exports. I think our leading technology exporter at the moment is Fisher & Paykel on $2.4 billion. Um, but when you start looking around the world at much larger technology companies, $100 billion, $500 billion, a trillion dollars, well, why haven't we got a company like that? Is it that the Chinese or the Americans and the Canadians are smarter than us? No. We just need to be more aggressive and back ourselves and actually put our country in danger of really taking our position on the global tech space. Well, maybe the, the simple question should be, when are you quitting the tech space and just get into politics, Mel? Because you, you've got some solid sound bites that are just firing firing out. You, you're, you're about to throw some heat. I like it. So look, let's dig into a little bit. So it feels like, or it sounds like, there's this underlying bit of frustration that's that's been built because you've got you're in a local market but you've got a global product is is that is the is the tension from the majority of people that you talk to locally don't can't actually speak the same language as you because you're thinking bigger or like what's the what's the disconnect in terms of alignment of the energy between the local the, the local and global market I guess that you see courage so we were supposed to launch in Florida pre-covid and then, of course, because we've built an enterprise financial technology platform, um, we deliver ESG, uh, ethical payments and data. So this is big, hairy stuff, big, hairy opportunities, patents all over the world, blah, 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 blah big, big side of the balance sheet. Um, so COVID happened, had to come home, um, thought, right, well, who's the best client? Who can we help the fastest here? Obviously, the New Zealand government, every every penny that they save is money that they can deploy to the front, front line. And of course, they're in the business of looking after the people. So we really provide a platform that does that. Um, so while that was happening, we opened an office in Singapore. We're now working in uh, Australia and we're just about to re-enter the American market. So my thinking has been global from day one, which everybody loves that narrative, but nobody really supports it. So you've got a whole lot of red tape and, and what I'm saying is, come on team, come on New Zealand, let's roll out the red carpet, not the red tape. How can we escalate faster? How can we run faster? And we're a little naive when it comes to the global market too. This sort of stuff, you're going to war. You know, you can't back in quietly and apologise and be all humble. You've got to actually hit it with, you know, you've got to take an AK-47 to a knife fight, basically. So, I love that thing, red carpet to the red tape, or the red tape to the, the red carpet. Yep. Now, is it the same issue of courage that's holding that back? And is it, is it so, so behind this thing, right, you've got this, oh my gosh, it's so good, let's go local to global, yada, yada, yada. But the disconnect, is it because they don't have the courage themselves internally to believe that? Is it because it's too scary because it's too big? Is it they're too comfortable in their own spot? Like what's the energy that you've felt when you've been trying to have this level conversation of high global billion dollar markets and then and then is that instantly because because maybe their potential insecurities or whatever, that they you're dismissed because of their own things? Like, like there's something, there's a disconnect. And we've talked about this before, right? What do you think that is? Because it sounds, sounds like it's a bit more than courage. Look, I think it's a combination of things. What we're proposing is really disruptive, and I understand that. Nobody else is doing it around the world at the moment. That's why we're so committed to our um, IP and our globalisation strategy. Um, but it's interesting to me, I mean, I've spent a lot of time in America and Asia and Australia. Our country seems to be incredibly shy when it comes to stepping up to that plate. Um, and, and my question is to New Zealanders, what do you want? 
what do you want as a country? Do you want to grow our technology exports and exceed our primary export market of 38 billion? What is it that you want? Weightless, borderless, high value technology exports? Or do you want to sit here and just let the whole market um, take it and, and we'll be you know, late to the party? So I'm very uncomfortable for a lot of people and I appreciate that. Um, but there's a multitude of reasons and everything that you've just said it depends on the on the person. They're all feeling that. This is what the feedback has been around um, our country. But, you know, God love us. We do a great job in a lot of areas. Um, but I think this is a sort of area where you just need people with thick skin and a warrior, some warrior blood to get on with the job. And that's really what I'm doing. But to, to that point, though right this feels like there's a you still feel there's a massive mindset issue which is actually holding back a lot of like real world growth the way i think about it is you know this you have this internal bravery first before you can go and ex, like execute externally what would success look like or what would need to happen to turn more i guess of this warrior spirit that you sort of speak of like do you think it's just a mindset issue? Like what, what's the what's the crux of this which has become, you feel that is a big handbrake that's actually holding New Zealand Aotearoa back? I think we have what I call the America's Cup mentality. So nobody, support, nobody supports you until you've got your hands on the cup. They don't support you on the journey to get there. So I guess my job as the CEO and founder of this business is to look after the interests of my clients, my staff and my shareholders. So I could spend my time in New Zealand arguing and fighting and banging my head against the wall, or I can just get on with the job and scale the business, which is what I'm doing. Um, and, you know, when I've got my hands on my America's Cup, I'm sure I'll come back and, you know, make a bigger contribution to New Zealand, but um, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm out. So um, I'm basing myself in Singapore, um, and then I'll be able to service Europe and uh, the US from that market. So um, it's forced me out of the country, um, but that's okay because I've got a big big fish to land here and a massive opportunity for, for our business. And we're 83% Māori owned too. So not only am I a woman in fintech, which is less than 1%, I'm an indigenous woman in fintech. So that's probably, I don't know, even half of that, quarter of that. Um, so we're shifting needles in a lot of areas and I'm, okay with being an outliner because I'm, I'm, I'm we're actually getting the job done has it already built resentment against your own country where you're from and you haven't even succeeded yet like you haven't even won yet and you're already sort of like are you currently disappointed in Aotearoa or you are you motivated are you pissed are you resentful you know like that, that's a huge thing to be to be bailing because the place that you love so much can't provide what you need um, am I resentful? I'm, I'm disappointed. I, I think we haven't positioned ourselves for, for global success. And I think largely we don't really understand what that looks like and what it takes to get there. Um, rightly or wrongly, that's where we are. So I can either, you know, fight against the machine or just get on with the job, which is what I'm doing. And you you hear that a little bit from our friends at Rocket Lab and a few other, you know, quite successful companies out of New Zealand. Um you know, they had to go outside for support before the support came from within the country. Are we geared to actually grow a globally successful technology sector? That would that would be my question. What are the policies that we have in place? What is the criteria for support and investment and everything else? Are we positioning ourselves to become winners? 
Um, and, you know, I, I'm, it's all about the prize for me. I, I'm super competitive. We want to win. Um, so we need the right tools and the right help and the right um, support to do that. If we can't find it here, go overseas and get it. And I'm very lucky with the relationships that I've got internationally, and uh, they've been super useful to us. Um, and we're now on the brink of something completely amazing for our business because of that. So New Zealand is losing this opportunity because things are broken within it that you feel aren't there to give you the proper support you need to build what you need right now. What do you think you'd do differently or what would you have liked to have seen done differently that would have made you not leave Aotearoa? Um, I just think the support engines that are in place here are not powered to do the job that the entrepreneurs and the founders need them to do. And it's quite interesting. Uh, we uh, deal a lot with government and um, we respond to RFIs and tenders and um, all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, we talk a lot about putting out a problem statement rather than a formula for what they want and let the entrepreneurs and the innovators and the companies come to you with a solution. And I almost feel that the support mechanisms and agencies in New Zealand and the government need to do that. Because you hear a lot of talk around, oh, this is not happening, I want this, I need this, it's not being supported, blah, 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 blah. blah. So rather than a, a waterfall scenario, which is what we've got now, we need a little bit more of an agile working environment to collectively say, what is our mission as, as New Zealanders? What is our mission as a, as a country? What are we trying to do here and how do we do it? Um, and you always, every time I go overseas, and I was just recently in, in Las Vegas with a couple of other New Zealanders, we're talking about what is it that we need? Because ultimately, nobody loves their country more than a Kiwi, right? So we want us to be successful. Our kids are here. Our families are here. This is an amazing country. Let's be more amazing now. <laughs> you know? So it's, so if you were in charge, would you have, like, is it a better framework for engagement to investors? Is it better paths to market globally? Is it better advisory network? Is it capital markets? Like, what's the, like, you know, to, to, to rebuild, you know, if you could wave the ma magic wand around Aotearoa to have what you feel it needs for, for these Kiwi companies to hit the global markets, what specifically would you create that doesn't exist or isn't being done well enough? Um, yes, 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 and yes, Robert, the whole thing. The whole the whole system isn't serving the people. Um, and if people are a little bit more honest about that, maybe we could get some better frameworks and better uh, systems in place. But the policies that are handed down and delivered um, are, are designed to protect the agencies, not elevate entrepreneurs and international growth, in my opinion. Um, How so? Well, you've, you've got to hit certain revenue thresholds. So, for example, we're a um, we're an enterprise company. Um, we've got the largest enterprise type of client signed already, and we're servicing them in this country. But we're not an enterprise country. We're a SME country. So, to expect a New Zealand enterprise size platform to hit those revenue, there's no customers here. We have to go offshore. So ah, it's, yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, so it needs to be a little bit more of a case-by-case -case basis. And it's just, it's it's not, and I understand the decisions that they make because they're only working to the policies that they've got. So the policies need some work. 
And then my question would be to the policymakers, what is your outcome that you want here? What is the mission of this country? Um, because we've built some great technology here and we've got some amazing founders. And I admit, you know, the reason that this business is still going and we're still here is that I'm bloody relentless and absolutely committed to what we're doing. I'm a fighter, you know, I'm an absolute warrior. And it concerns me, I think sometimes, what happens with the, the companies that come through with the amazing technology that don't have the type of street fighter CEO that I am? You know, do they just die? Well, how many opportunities are we missing as a country to start elevating our position globally in terms of technology exports? Um, and I always, I think about that sometimes a little bit late at night. Um, and yeah, it's, it would be interesting to see the numbers on that. My brain, my brain goes to the spot where uh, you, you raise an interesting question, Mel, around the headspace of, you know, if you didn't have the headspace or the, if the average, you know, the majority of Kiwi founder CEOs potentially would have quit a lot long ago if they were in potentially your shoes, right? So there's that that that, that fight. But the, to your point, if there were better policies of this or that or if, or if it became a bit easier for them, some of these great ideas wouldn't get maybe so many red flags, hit so many walls or whatever, and then that frustration they actually might might get through. So you kind of wonder, probably to your point, Mel, is how much greatness has actually been lost because the, the, the founder potentially wasn't equipped or didn't have the best support system or they didn't have the right, you know, didn't go into the right program or whatever it may be. So that's actually lost opportunity for New Zealand, which I'm imagining goes against what the these um, these missions and values and everything for the, the country is. So it becomes a bit of a um, thing, but it's a it's a good point you raise about the having you know you know enterprise KPIs in the market with none of those enterprise customers because it becomes probably a little a little bit tricky for it. Okay, so your headspace is now going. Okay, we're thinking big. We're going big global opportunities. New Zealand's not it for us right now. I love I love home, but they don't have what we need for us to grow when you win I always say, I like to say win instead of if when you build this billion dollar business and then you get you know all the all the praise and the front page of everything in New Zealand and then you'll be welcomed home with the red with the red carpet at that moment will you feel more justified that you knew you were right or more pissed and resentful that the people who were supposed to support you the entire time didn't, just like the flight of the Concords <laughs> after they blew up on, on on HBO, or have you have you pre-thought, or are you that stubborn that you're going to use this as fuel to be like stuff you and then make it massive and then be like I told you so in five ten years whatever? Where's your headspace? Oh, it's definitely petrol in the tank. You know, there's nothing I love more than somebody telling me I can't do something. Love it. So this is, you know, whatever's happened in this country has really given me that impetus and that, that absolute desire to smash it. So that, that's my focus here. But, you know, along the way, I'm meeting some really great investors and some really intelligent, smart, driven people. And, you know, when this business is in somebody else's hands, um, you know, I'm going to loop back around and say, okay, so this is the pathway, this is some frameworks, these are my experiences as a New Zealand-based enterprise technology founder, um, let me help, let me help, um, because there's very clear areas that we need some assistance, um, and of course I've got a sales and marketing background as well, so it's all about selling, we've got to sell our country, sell our technology, and grow, grow our 
our market and that's what I'm very good at. But along the way, I've also made some amazing friends in so many countries that I can just send a, a WhatsApp message to and then all of a sudden I've got a meeting with a federal senate at the Capitol Hill building. So that's the, that's the power of the connections that I have now. Um, and I'm very lucky to have those connections and I, I'm aware of that. So I want to share that back to New Zealand and other entrepreneurs um, when I've got some headspace to do that. So let's jump there for a second. Connections globally. How have you built your networks and how important actually are they? Like how have you managed to, you know, um, do what you've done and, to, you know, even just that thing to, you know, meeting with government officials or whatever. Um, how important are these connections and how have you built them that others could potentially learn off? Um, I'm a big talker, Robert. So um, you drop me in a business lounge no. somewhere, <laughs> and um, I've I've got half a dozen friends and business cards before I leave. So it's been really organic and super interesting. Um, LA airport, Hong Kong business lounge, um, in the US, in in Singapore, I literally gave somebody an elevator pitch in the elevator in Atlanta, which was hilarious. Um, so I think people admire my grit. Obviously, as a New Zealander of Indigenous background and a woman in fintech, I super stand out as well. But we, our secret sauce as New Zealanders is our integrity um, and we're authentic, you know, and international folks really like that. So they want to help us um, and they're super excited about what we're doing. So I'm just a chatter and a networker and I'm interested in what other people are doing. So that's something that just comes naturally to me. So I'm very blessed to have that skill um, and it's been vitally important. I've, as I said, presented at the Capitol Hill building. I've, um, you know, I rock up to Singapore and if there's somebody in the American network I need, I can ring up the guys down at the US Embassy. I've got friends there, I've got, you know, mates all over the place. And it very much is, hey, dude, can you help me with something? And, uh, you know, people are willing to help. So that, that's amazing and quite humbling um, mm. that you know, I have access to these types of people. Well, it's also as well just the fact of, you know, yes, it's Kiwis and this and that, but you'll realise when you start travelling the world, it's still a pretty small place, you know, and these relationships of one person can connect into all sorts of uh, random different worlds. You've brought up something um, a couple of times now, which I jumped into, you know, you're um, an Indigenous woman in in the tech space and fintech space of, of all that. So you're kind of like the 1% of the, of the 1%. What is your journey actually been like around raising capital as a, not just raising capital for startups, but also as a woman and indigenous and whatever like this, you're already like the 1% of the 1%. How has that journey been for you in terms of capital raising for a startup, especially with global ambitions, but in a local country? Uh, it's been fascinating and I've learned a lot. I mean, when it all boils down to it, what is the number one thing that the investor wants you to do? They want you to make money. So how do you de-risk the opportunity for them to make money? Um, there's some talk going on in LinkedIn at the moment. Uh, I've got a friend, Nicole. She um, has a, an entity called NCR, which is Next Chapter Rise, based out of Hong Kong, and it's to support female founders. And they were talking about um, female founders now getting even less VC funding than they were getting last year. Um, and I'm kind of really sick of hearing this narrative. I think it's less than 1.9%, and it's less than 1% of VC founding uh, investment goes to uh, fintech founders. Um, and it's time to just rip the Band-Aid off. I mean, we're all, for want of a better term, put our big girl knickers on and have a robust discussion around what's going on. 
why won't you invest in female founders? Do you think we're not tough enough? Do you think we're not focused enough? Do you think we're not aggressive enough? Is this what the story is? Because we all know we're going to war when you've got a disruptive tech company. No doubt. So do you, what is it? What is holding you back from that investment? And then there was another comment around sole founders. So I find that really interesting because how many companies do you know with multiple founders that have a massive falling out in a power struggle? And secondly, part of the, um, the yardstick that you measure a successful CEO with is their ability to build a great team. You know, so if the team is amazing, but there's a sole founder, I would have thought that that was actually a plus from an investor's perspective. Um, so that's a really interesting thing. But it's been, it's been. Um, I've had a few experiences where um, a female associate has got super excited about me and then pitched it to the more senior men in the in the investment um, company and been squashed. And 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 the young female associates don't fight for you. So I've got a friend, a personal friend, who's a VC, a German guy, and I said to him, how many investments have you made into female-founded businesses? None. And I said, why not? And he said, because in his opinion and in his experience, the women aren't as committed and that they're board housewives. Wow. I think I know who you're talking about, but we can leave that comment there. Um, I'm interested in your point you just said before around the robust discussion. So what do you feel is actually going on with why this is less than 1.9% to females and less than 1% to, to fintech? What is the actual conversation, which no one is having, with why the number is so skewed? I think my personal opinion on it is I think that um, VCs are nervous about investing in women because it is a fight when you're founding a new company, it is a war and I think they think perhaps women aren't um, don't have the skill set to navigate that, is my feeling And those numbers don't lie it's disproportionately men, no, and disproportionately white men yeah. Well, but the data the data supports the argument. But it's interesting. The data also supports the fact that female founded companies, on average, return a seventy five percent greater profit margin than, than male founders. So, you know, what is it that you want as investors? Do you want to make money? Well, then you need to start broadening your scope. If you want to make more money, you need to start broadening the scope. And if there is areas that you think the company needs assistance, assist. So for, for the conversations you've had in terms of investment when it comes to Aotearoa versus globally, what's been the difference of energy with the same conversation that you have but with a New Zealand investor and an overseas investor? What, similarities, oh, differences? Chalk and cheese. Um, oh, well, I think statistically more people invest in racehorse syndicates in New Zealand than invest in startups. <laughs> I love that stuff. <laughs> Former, former pony girl myself. Um, but I think it's just, you know, size and scale, size and scale. And New Zealanders get nervous when you have, you know, a, a massive vision um, and a massive global market because that then delivers massive numbers and it's not something New Zealanders are used to looking at. So we're kind of shy around that. Totally different narrative out of um, Singapore and the US. 
you know, they want, if, you, if you're not talking billions of dollars in revenue, don't bother turning up. They don't want to know you. So we're very much better suited to Australia and, and the US and Singapore in terms of the investor matching. You brought up a lot of different locations, a lot of different places, kind of a global vision to where the companies be from, from day one. How have you sort of navigated time zones, teams, scale, scalability, you know, communications, alignment, culture, like this whole global package team thing. How have you navigated that on, on your journey so far? Well, we're a software house. So for us and a, and a cloud-based platform. So scalability for us is, is not painful in terms of the technology scale. We're quietly sitting in 28 countries already. So then it's been, and I've got a sales background, so we're going to get pulled in by the customer. It's all customer-led. Who, who, who wants to pay for our technology? And that's where we really start those conversations. Um, navigating the time zones, look, that's tough. I mean, obviously, I'm the, the global warrior at this point. But what I have done is I've designed... Um, deployment units, which sounds very Navy SEALs, but, you know, what's the front-end team need to look like that you can drop into each country and localise the language and the functionality and all of that? Because I think that's really important too. We've already already coded our technology. We're bilingual. We're available here in Tadeo. So, you know, multiple tax rates, all of that kind of stuff, it's irrelevant to us. That causes no pain for our development team at all. Um, but it's it's a little tiring. It's a little tiring. This year is going to be a massive year for our company. We're all in full scale mode now, um, and that's super exciting. But it's all customer pull. So I'm not going to go to a country that doesn't want to pay for us. And that's been my strategy right from the start. And the do you have any ways you keep your balance up with some? I'm imagining you're doing phone calls at all times of the all times of the day, all, all sort of stuff. Like how are you balancing off? Are you just realise? Have you just basically said, stuff it, I'm in the washing machine, let's just flip and go? Or have you tried to find gaps where you can have your own space? Is it gym? Is it yoga? Is it meditation? Is it like, what? how are you sort of navigating that whole thing? Because it's obviously a moving beast, but at the same time, you know, if you fall over, the whole thing sort of does. So how are you balancing that up? Um, yeah, I, I de-risked the company because we've got people within the business that could step into my shoes. I've been very careful with that. Um, we've brought in a shareholder who's formerly had um, a very successful um, consulting technology business. So um, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, uh, we'd be good. Uh, so that's, I do risk the company like that. But in terms of how I manage my own energy levels, um, I love what I do. I love what I'm doing and that helps. And our technology actually changes people's lives. So this is a passion project for me. Um, but I gym a lot. Um, I'm careful with what I eat and, and drink and all of that kind of stuff and look after myself um, in a way that I'm an athlete. So um, my job as the CEO is to be the fittest, um, you know, most balanced person I can possibly be um, while still delivering. But the reality is when you're the founder and you're in that senior C-suite team, just thinking about the business 18 hours a day anyway. Um, But it's just about you know, managing all of the different priorities. When I'm in Singapore, it's quite good because New Zealand's up and earlier. So five o'clock in the morning, I'm having comms with the team here and then I can work in Singapore. It's that when it's from Singapore to the US, it gets a little bit trickier. So running the climb, uh, clock back a bit, if you were trying to do the same thing now and you're at a, a young home, a young family at home, would you, how would you try to navigate it differently or would you, 
how would you approach it differently then? Because obviously, type because you you don't see your children are old older now. How how would you have done it? Because I know so many founders, especially with like young fam, like they have to do their times. So I'm similar. Like I'll get up at five and then I'll do the night thing. How how would you approach it differently if you had young fam now with Fano? Uh, well, I'm a single. Could mother. you? Yeah. No, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. Done it. I mean, my kids are now 13 and nearly 16, um, and at boarding school. Thank the Lord for that. But if I didn't have a partner to help with that, I think it would be, you'd it'd be impossible. It would be because yeah. you're emotionally, you know, you've got a commitment to your children first. Um, me personally, um, I wouldn't have done it. I mean, yeah. I was the coach, the cricket coach. I chaired the parent committee. I raised all the money. Blah blah. blah. I, I was that parent, you know, um, and I did that. And then and then when the children were ready. Um, and a little bit more independent and self-managing, go time on the business. Yeah, I get that. And um, in a similar boat, you know, my daughters are five and uh, f- four and five now, so they're starting to, you know, get to their own little routines during the day. So I'm starting to get a bit, a bit of time back to sort of build out. But there was definitely, there was definitely priority. Um, you know, you're uh, you're quite uh, prolific. I don't know, prolific is a word. You you get your thoughts out there on LinkedIn. You you push you what you're thinking you what you what you're getting up to you you document it out. How's the journey been around? I guess documenting um, you know that that mission and journey and insights on public platforms and have you sort of found that experience of you know getting the word about you your company how you sort of build it and run a bit of brand for yourself. Look, I I think LinkedIn's a really important tool. Um, I'm mindful of my position as a woman, an Indigenous woman, Māori woman in in New Zealand, um, and people are watching me, and, you know, it's that case of see it and be it. So I feel a responsibility to my community um, to say, hey, listen, you can do this. Let's up the engagement of women in tech too, something like horrendous, like 25% at the moment. Um, So, you know, that's part of what I'm doing, but also, you know, I call myself a change maker because we are changing the way that governments deploy funds and data. And, and that's really important too because of the impact that it has on people's lives and also the environment. Um, so that's good. But I, you know, obviously recently with um, um, the Prime Minister resigning, I was a bit disappointed as a New Zealander um, to see the lack of decorum um, around her and the personal attacks and the gossiping and the backstabbing is what it felt like. It felt like we're a country of mean girls for a couple of weeks, um, you know, and rightly or wrongly, whatever your political views are or opinions, that's fine. But she's still a human um, and she put herself out there. So don't like her, don't vote for her. Don't like the Labour Party, don't vote for them. Um, you don't need to be mean and nasty and just, you know, quite toxic on that. It's just, and it just inflames people. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was disappointing to see our behaviour as New Zealanders um, around that period in our, in our history. Do you think that the energy that came in the three, four weeks was being this under-bubbling scent of potential division in the nation, which has stemmed out through the last three, three years with COVID and lockdowns and people think locked away, COVID, pandemic, recession, stress, economic, you know, pressure, all these other things. Do you think it built up, has been building up to a point or do you think we've just slowly changed over time? How, how, how did we get like this and when did it happen? 
I think we have just endured an unprecedented amount of stress and I think it's had a massive effect on our mentality and our mental health as a nation. We're, we were on our knees, we're still largely on our knees and I think that we're looking for the quick fix, we're looking for how we're going to get out of this and there just isn't a quick fix. And, you know, the, I think as business owners, I mean, we've all seen, you know, the rise in suicide, a 600% increase in violence against supermarket staff. People are hurting. People are really hurting. So what I would love for our country to do is focus our energy on how do we collectively work together to fix this? Let's not just blame the government. Let's not just blame the policies or the prime minister. What can we do to help our people and help our country? And that's where I'm putting my energy. If you're prime minister, what would you do? Oh, if I, I'd obviously have a lot of meetings with everybody else that's involved in the government. But I think for me, um, we need to firstly retain the people, uh, we've got a massive labour shortage. See that Australia is doing three-day visas for nurses and teachers. We need to we need to move faster on that. Uh, we need to start looking at where is productivity um, dropping here in our country. Um, where can we start accelerating our our productivity, exporting, um, making more money? Uh, we need to I think start a massive. I'm a huge fan of automation because what that does is it actually allows people to stop doing manual low-paying tasks and frees them up to learn some new skills. I mean, we know we've got a massive shortage of technology um, engineers in this country. Why are we not focusing on training and elevating um, to those to those tasks, you know? Um, people are a little bit scared of automation. They talk, oh, jobs are going to go. Yes, but there's so many other jobs that will pay you a shit ton more money, which means that you can then generate more tax and then it elevates the the, the levels of the, of the river, right? And this is really what we're wanting to do. So that would be my focus. Um, retaining the talent that we've got, making it easier for them to stay and putting New Zealand in danger of recovery. That's what I'll be doing. Well, when you're talking, I think tech now is maybe the second or third biggest um, export in the nation. The crazy part is in a world where it's weightless and it's you can fully scalable weather, we don't have a full magnet for global talent that are tech-based to just be able to come to New Zealand and bring the goodness with them, right? Like it doesn't feel like there's a magnet of opportunity that's enabling and empowering and becoming this massive big olive branch of awesomeness to bring all this amazing tech talent down. That, well, that yeah, sorry, Ka. People, People love our country. There's no two ways about that. And here we go with that red carpet, not red tape um, policy, right? So... Right at the moment, there's, there's hundreds and thousands of tech workers in San Francisco being laid off left and right. Um, hello. Um, now, MB ran a um, massive program in Wellington about four or five years ago called Look See, and they brought in a whole lot of people, but it wasn't quite executed well. They, they all came to have a look but didn't stay. But now that the position that the US is in, I'm sure you'd get a much bigger uptake. I mean, we're, we're trying to hire engineers now. And so when we started talking, and of course I've recently in San Francisco, um, you know, everybody's working from home, so it was really hard to spot them. Um, but, you know, 
where's the call? Where's the caller? Where's the invitation? Um, let, let's get them down here. Um, and that's really what needs to be happening at the moment. It's tricky, right? Because, you know, you love the country so much, you're, you know, empathetic around the individuals doing it, that run the policies, but then you disagree with some of the policies which has made you kind of want to leave. So you kind of, you tippy-toe in this tension of like genuine care, but also kind of frustration, right? Like I love so much about this, but then but it hasn't done this for me. So like, how do you think you'll resolve the organic tension that's, I guess, built on your career path to date as you continue on for the next next chapter? Well, I'm not going to resolve it. Um, what I need to do is not put any energy into it. What I need to do is put energy into growing a successful business. And then when I'm in a position to expend energy on elevating our country, um, then that's where my, my interest will, will, will lie. It's quite interesting when you look at... Um, you know, charitable works executed by New Zealanders. It's people who have made an awful lot of money and been very successful, um, you know, and they're pumping money back into areas of our community that actually really need it. So I'm kind of thinking, well, let's just park the frustration of what's going on here. We've got a very focused growth strategy. We've got some massive opportunities for our business. Let's just get on with the business of the business and then I'll circle back to what I can do as a New Zealander um, to actually elevate our own country. And just like that. I really appreciate your time, Mel. Always lovely bantering with you, and it was uh, great to be able to see you go deep on a couple of things which you haven't done before here too, which is super cool. So best of luck for the journey. New Zealand will be happily welcoming you home with the red carpet when you sell for billions and IPO on the NASDAQ or whatever it is that comes next. And uh, best of luck on the journey ahead. Awesome work. Thanks for a bit. Take care. Oh, I told you she'd bring the fire. I told you she'd get at it. <laughs> I told you she would send it. Uh, how how good of a banter, you know, raising capital as a as a as a woman in the tech space. Less than one point nine percent going to females. Less than one percent into fintech. You know, the lack of decorum on on LinkedIn. You know, people fighting the person, not the policy. Uh, local products to global markets, the opportunity, thinking bigger, you know, having that disconnect. I love the thought about the, you know, take away the red cape, red tape and pull out the red carpet. Like the red tape to red carpet thing is so good. I, I hadn't heard that before and maybe it's new. I, you know, maybe it's been around for ages. I don't know. I'm, you know, not the smartest cookie. Um, and I, you know, and it, she doesn't apologize. She will not apologize for being who she is or how she rolls and saying what she thinks and believing what she believes. It's awesome. It's amazing. More people need, need to do it. Uh, but it's also very, you know, it, it, it gets me a little bit bummed seeing, you know, these weapons that are creating these great things are choosing proactively to leave Aotearoa in 2023 because of policy, because things aren't, they aren't getting the support here they, they want. And, and she brings up some good points. You know, there's the biggest thing we're doing is what two billion, and some of the worlds are getting into the hundreds of billions and trillions. You know, why can't we think bigger and be better and be bolder? We're in a state now where we've got these great, amazing thinkers. Why can't they um, exist and and call Aotearoa home? And personally, I'm a massive fan of the idea of bringing down smart humans, which can create products <laughs> that can be scaled globally to have global uh, revenue come into a local market that then pays taxes to help make the economy stronger. And we can be taking international capital into the local markets, back into New Zealand. So it's local products, global markets, but then back to local uh, industry, which is super cool. Or just a way that I think that I think would be great. And she also says something too, you know, she says, you know, I am an athlete. 
And I had never really thought about CEOs and founders being athletes, but her point of, you know, when she's body sharp, mind sharp, everything sharp, it's going to make for better business decisions. That definitely makes sense. And giving the balance up so you can balance, you know, the whanau life and, and the friendly life and, and business life and all that stuff too. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the banter away with the one only Melissa Gollan. You can check her out at Ripper Global, R-I-P-A, Ripper Global. And best luck to her and her journeys in Singapore. It'd be better if it was back in New Zealand, but that's a conversation for another day. Have a good day, team. Be good, be great. Uh, download this podcast wherever you'd like. Rebet Live, just Google it up. Hashtag R-O-B-E-T-T, live and you're off, you're off and rolling. And uh, that is us. Have a good day. See you soon. Thanks for listening to Rebet Live on Today FM. Peace.